This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 473 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. The Dressage Radio Show is the official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation. For new listeners, Reese and Philip record new shows three weeks of the month, and then the fourth week, we take a look at back at some of the almost 500 episodes they've produced in the past. So never fear, Reese and Philip will be back again next week with a brand new show. This week, I have assembled a collection of Total Saddle Fit tips from the past six years. Reese and Philip and other professional riders have given us over 300 training and riding tips on the Dressage Radio Show. Here are just a few. Marlene Whitaker from Custom Freestyle is going to come on and talk with us about how to design a training level freestyle. Marlene, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. It is my pleasure, Reese. So we are all, I, I've been looking forward to your interview all day. Marlene is, is a wonderful choreographer and has worked with me and my family for many years. And she's, I think she's the best. But um, I was so excited to have you on the show, Marlene, to talk about the new training level freestyle. Which uh, when it became effective December 1st, a few days ago, it, I think 90% of our amateurs in the United States, I'm told, ride at training level, first level. So the more people that have access to this, the better. And I do have some concrete suggestions that I think will make it easier for them. Great. Well, let's get started. Let's, I would say the very first thing an interested rider should do is go to the USDF website. The Freestyle Committee, which I'm a past member of, has put uh, a lot of effort into giving clear directives and basic information on, on requirements, timing, music, choreography, scoring, and judges. There's a wealth of material there um, that is self-explanatory that I couldn't cover in 30 minutes. So that would be a good starting place. Um, the next thing I recommend is that everyone have a metronome. Now, metronomes come from rather uh, inexpensive versions to quite elaborate versions. How much you spend on the metronome is not as important as the fact that you use the same metronome throughout your entire uh, your entire project because there might be some variability. So get a metronome and take a video of your horse in competition and match his walk, trot, and canter. Tap that beat into the metronome and it will give you a number. Our a horse's gates fall in a specific range. Canter can be 89 beats per minute to about 102. And that is literally how many times that inside front leg strikes the ground in a minute's time. Uh, the walk might be, say, 96 to 118. And when I, when I measure the walk, I choose to measure both front legs because it is more accurate. The trot tends to be, if you are measuring both front legs, which is, again, more accurate, tends to be about 138 to 160. So your first job, as, uh, if you're new to this, is to find out what tempos go with your horse. That's so important. Once you have those numbers, 
uh, if your if your listeners have a piece of paper, I would tell them that they should go to a website called, and I'm making sure I'll say this right, um, Equimusic, E-Q-U-I-M-U-S-I-C dot com. And that is a free online musical freestyle music database. It is quite self-explanatory, and it will give you suggestions for songs at any tempo range. If you know that your horse canters at 92 beats per minute, you insert that, and up comes the list of songs that you could choose from. This will be a, a great help for putting appropriate songs at a person's fingertips. Now, choosing your music is not quite so, uh, not quite as easy as saying, I like this walk, this trot, and this canter. We want your choices to go together in a unified theme to sound like they belong together. We, and we want you to, uh, burn some of this music and take it out to the barn and ride your horse to it to see how you like it. Pick out three or four or five songs in each gate and ride to it. And that that's a way to start. Now, am I getting too detailed here? No, this no, is it's perfect. awesome. Yeah, and the I'm use taking of that website, notes myself. Yeah, and, and <laughs> to have a database of music to work with. Now, I hope that there's a lot of songs on there so that we're not having every you know ten freestyles with the same music. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is there isn't as much music available as we all wish there was. However, this, and so some of the songs in this database may have been used, but if, if you have a rider going to the World Cup, I have to worry very, I have to worry that their ride has, is as fresh and new as I can make it. But for our riders getting started, it's all right. If they put their music together, uh, it's all right that maybe somebody in another state is using it too. It's all right. Yeah. I had an interest I had an interesting experience at a World Cup class in Florida one year where I had a rider who had a particular piece of music for the canter. The rider that went in immediately after her uh, had her ride done by someone else and coincidentally had used the same canter piece of music. Jessica Ranshausen was judging at the end of the class. My rider was quite upset to have heard her canter music done by two horses. So I approached Jessica and asked her what she thought about that. And she hadn't noticed it, not because she isn't an experienced judge. Believe me, she is, and she's done freestyles, and she knows. But her premise is that every cur is choreographed differently with different surrounding pieces, and two riders can use the same music back-to-back and have it be two totally different pieces of music. So I share that story with my riders when they get uh, a little uptight about what if someone else is using this music. No one else has your horse. No one else has your choreography. No one else will edit it exactly the same way. So have confidence and just try to create the program that represents you. Now, finding the tempo, which I've talked about, is... Step one, but just because you have picked a song in a tempo range doesn't mean it will work because the other part of choice is the style. It is possible to have a song that is tempoed at walk sound like trot. It is possible to have a, a, a piece of music that is tempoed for trot sound like walk. 
that's just the rhythmic groove. That's the variation we find. So when you when you get to your resource and are able to find songs in a range that you know might work for you, be cognizant that it has to sound like the gate you want it to represent. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So after that, you've got your music picked out, you've written to it. Where does the choreography come in? Well, fortunately, at training level, um, you have one big advantage, and that is you don't have so many required elements. Um, You are required to do 20 meters of continuous free walk, 20 meters of continuous medium walk. You are required to do both left and right a trot, 15 to 20 meter circle, no smaller. You are required to do the same at canter, 15 to 20 meter circle, left and right, no smaller. In the trot, you do a serpentine with no loop smaller than 15 meters. That would be a four loop serpentine at the smallest. A trot, 20 meter stretching circle. Then your transitions are scored, and you can do trot, halt, trot, trot, walk, trot, trot, canter, trot. You may not do walk, canter, walk. When you read the requirements in the USDF manual, they will be very clear about what you can and cannot do. And when you choreograph your ride, be very true to what is allowed, because if you put in something Uh, that's above the level, you will be faulted for that. Because you have not so many movements to show at training level, you have plenty of time in the five-minute limit that you're given to listen to the music, listen to the phrases, and begin to imagine what that sounds like. um, That sounds like a circle. Um, At training level, it is it's quite doable to listen to your music and just try to ride to it. You might, uh, and that takes some experimentation. I do find that when riders are doing this at home, the stopping and starting with a horse can be frustrating for the horse. So you might want to spend some time at your kitchen table listening to the music and um, trying to draw things. I can give you some rough estimates, a horse doing a 20-meter circle um, might trot at about 48 steps. That's 48 feet. If you trot the diagonal, that might be um, 16. I mean, if you canter the diagonal, it might be 16 strides. If you trot the full diagonal, it might be 32 strides. There are, you know, if if people would like to call me for some specific numbers on their choreography, I can be reached at 828-606-5907. I'm more than happy to coach people and give them some little guidance. But if you sit at your kitchen table, kind of draw out a plan as you're listening to your music that you'd like to try, that saves your horse a lot. Um. You want to, when the music swells, you want to do something meaningful. The interpretation of the music is a very personal thing. But I will tell you that before riders get too bent out of shape about or stress too much about their music and their choreography, it is probably most important to know 
that freestyles are won and lost uh, based on the technical ride. If you have met the requirements and you and you ride a clean and accurate test, uh, the best technical ride will nearly always win the freestyle. So sometimes I'd encourage riders to spend your money on lessons. Uh, spend your money on the most able horse you are able to have and get the best, the best help you can from a professional. Because in truth, especially at training level, the best moving horse with the cleanest technical ride will win the cur. And that should give a lot of encouragement to our riders and encourage them to put their efforts where it will most pay off and let the music and the choreography be a little bit of fun at training level. And for the rest of that interview with Marlene, visit dressageradio.com, episode 184. More tips coming right up. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. Choose Kentucky Performance Products Supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. This week, I want to speak with you about Elevate Maintenance Powder. Horses consuming limited grass due to a busy competition schedule or because of diet restrictions may not be getting enough natural vitamin E. Horses in rigorous training, seniors, broodmares, and stallions often require additional levels of vitamin E to meet their needs. When you need a supplement with natural vitamin E, choose Elevate Maintenance Powder. Affordable, effective, and research-proven, Elevate Maintenance Powder's vitamin E is nature's most powerful antioxidant, protecting your horse on the cellular level. Elevate Maintenance Powder supports the strong immune system and healthy muscle function necessary for top performance. It's affordable and easy to feed, and you can learn more about this and all their products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Next up, we have a trainer tip from Nicholas Fife, a Australian dressage rider based out of Wellington and also Canada. Well, Nicholas, we're so happy to have you on the show this evening and really looking forward to hearing your perspective on this week's trainer's tip about how you hold a balanced position. Can you get us started? Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I, yeah, this is what I want to talk about this evening. Uh, I think everyone's already heard about why it is really important to have a balanced position as a rider, and we all know that it really def- affects the um, how effective our A's are as a rider. Um, I just wanted to talk about how I actually maintain an effective position myself. Um, I think I'm at a little bit of an advantage because I get a lot of practice, and I ride about 10 horses every day, so I certainly get enough time in the saddle and uh, that's something that uh, a lot of the adult amateur riders find harder because they may be only riding one horse a day. Um, so it is really important that they maximize their time in the saddle when they're on that one horse. So first of all, I, I get a lot of practice. Um, but I was actually a competitive gymnast when I was younger, so I'm fairly aware of my own body, and I know when it's right, and I certainly know when it's wrong. Um, so when I'm feeling unbalanced in the saddle or I feel some asymmetries or something's just not out, not quite in alignment, then I try and work it out in the gym. And um, I spend a fair bit of time doing yoga, not as much as I would really like to um, when, when it gets really busy in the season right now, but I try and do a couple of sessions each week. And if I feel like I can't fix it myself in the yoga studio, I um, take advantage of the fact that we have a in-house Pilates instructor at Still Point Farm where I'm based. We're really lucky. and um, 
she stretches me and pulls me and puts me back into position. And that, that seems to really help me find my position back to its balance and center of gravity. Excellent. Do you have any more ideas maybe while you're, while you're riding? What can you do to kind of become body aware or a little stronger in places where you need to be? Yeah, I constantly check. I constantly analyze how I'm sitting. And I, I always, when I'm teaching and when I'm riding, I like to think about what it would look like if, if someone took a bird's eye view photograph from, from the rider from above. And I always like to think that I would be perfectly centered over the horse, that I have a seat bone either side of the horse's spine, that my spine is positioned perfectly vertically in line with the horse. And I, I always try to think of what the view would look like from above so that everything is in perfect symmetry. And I just constantly remind myself to think how how it feels to the horse with, with the way we sit on them and how we can sit in a way that we make 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 it easier for the horse to travel. I, I have to remind myself about my position every day. I, I worked very hard to get a nice position, but it, it doesn't just stay like that. I, I constantly have to work on it all the time. Well, and I, I love that comment because I think it's it's a struggle for all riders. You know, we all work every day very, very hard on our position. Um, and I, and I like I liked how you said that you did a lot of work in the gym and yoga and Pilates. Um, how do you make that a priority in your schedule? Because you have such a busy schedule. That's that's a really good question. It's something that I find very hard to do. Um, it's easier for me when I'm in Wellington than when I'm based in Canada for the summer because when I'm in Wellington, everything's much closer and concentrated here in Florida, so it's easier to get to the gym um, because it's much closer to home. And also, I find if I... Um, I just go to the general yoga classes at the gym and if I, I decide that if I'm going to book a, a, a an appointment with my Pilates instructor, I feel if I'm investing some money into it, I know I'll be there and I know I'll put all of my energy into it. And, and that's how I really get committed to it. Once you invest some money into something, yeah. then it makes you work that little bit harder at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to cancel when you're, when, when you're going to lose that, that little bit of money or, or whatever. I think that's important. No, I think exactly. the three main, the, th- the three main areas, you know, like I think getting instruction, you know, the use of mirrors when you can use them and um, maybe some videotaping is three ways to really work on your position. Do you guys have anything anything to add to that? Maybe, Nicholas, you can talk and then Reese. Yeah, I, I, I utilize all of those things. Um, but I think, I, I just think that eyes on the ground are really important. I don't think I ever ride unsupervised. I certainly would never ride with anyone on the farm, just purely out of a safety aspect. Um, but I very rarely ride a horse without someone watching me. Um, and I know, I know I'm a professional and I do this for a living, but I still think that it's, it's that important that I, I ride with supervision uh, every day so that I, I do stay on track and that I, I, I do maintain a clear system in my training. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Um, you know, sometimes when, when I'm in Kentucky, I don't, and, and I'm not able to have instruction all the time. Um, but I'm lucky. My sister, uh, we've talked about her on the show before, has ridden Grand Prix. So if I really feel like I've got something not going well, I'll call her out or my mom. Uh, I also have my assistant trainer who can come out and say, oh yeah, hey, it looks a little this way. Um, so I think utilizing the people that are around you um, for, for the, the riders that, that can't get instruction, obviously that's the best, but 
for sure having people around that are watching and, and, and are taking care of your position. Uh, I think I, every lesson I teach, try to give each of my students a little tidbit on their position, say, okay, you need to move here. You need to be there. So I think just also us all paying attention to the detail of the position is, is critical as well. Yeah. I I don't think, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you have to have a, uh, a world-class trainer all the time, but just a riding body to say, look, you're really leaning to the left or, you know, just a reminder set up because I think we can all kind of get into riding, you know, figuring, trying to figure out the horse so much or just trying to make the horse have, you know, the perfect shoulder in or the perfect half pass that we don't realize we're leaning over to the side or, or something like that. Yeah. I agree. I've, I've spent much time when I was based in Australia riding on my own. And I think sometimes there is a benefit in that because it gives you confidence to make a mistake and work something out on your own and you can, and you can really figure out this problem on your own because there's no one else there to help you. Um, so there is a benefit in riding on your own and I just think it's important that you don't do it for extended periods of time. Um, but as you said, even if it's just a riding buddy watching, I think just the fact that you have someone there overseeing your riding is going to make you ride that little bit better, put in a little bit more effort and, and go the extra mile to improve. Oh, absolutely. And then just like you said, the extra effort, I think I always tease my students that, um, you know, I'll, I'll give them a lesson and they're like, wow, you know, I just can't live without you. And I, I tease them that it's job security, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's very true. You know, I think we all have to focus on that. And, and as, as students and, um, Nicholas, how often do, you know, in an ideal world, how often would you do, you know, your yoga and your Pilates and your different type of exercises? In an ideal world, I would uh, I would work out at at the gym four times a week, and two of those uh, sessions would be yoga sessions. The other the other sessions I do honestly are just weight training, and that, to be honest, is not so um, for me. It's not so positive for my riding. I just like to look good at the beach with my shirt off. <laughs> um, but, Nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like the honesty. I, that, <laughs> yeah, it's good for your. It's very good for your core strength. Um, I would like to do yoga at least twice a week. Um, but the other thing that's really important for me to sit really well is that that I'm not exhausted. Um, when I'm really tired, I find it really hard to maintain a great position, and I really find that I need one day in the week where I don't ride a horse, where I really have time for my body to relax and to rest. And then normally that's a, mo- a Monday when I'm lucky, and then. On Tuesday, I get back on the horse and I'm feeling good to go. But for me, it's very important to get enough rest. Oh, I, I second that. I, I also need a day uh, for my body and, and my mind to, to not, not sit on my horses all the time. So, um, But Nicholas, this was such great insight on, on your riding and, and how you take care of your body to be the best rider that you can be. Um, how can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can go to my website. It's www.nicholasfifedressage.com or you can find me on Facebook, Nicholas J. Fife, or follow me on Twitter, Nicholas Fife. Do you want to give us the spelling of your last name there, Nicholas? Just, yeah, that's, just in case. Uh, F-Y-F-F-E. That's F for Foxtrot, Y double F for Foxtrot E. Founded in 1973, The United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. 
Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, we are very happy to have a friend of ours, Kelly McGinn, on the radio show this evening. Kelly, you are our trainer tip of the week. Can you get started on the tip you're giving all of us? Sure. Um, I've come up with a kind of a, an easy way to explain and to, to help the rider kind of break down the, the trot a little bit. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it can be daunting when a rider thinks of, I need to collect the horse or I need to engage the horse. So I've come up with an easy way to describe it to my students that really makes it very simple. Um, and I, I call it gear work, and this is not really, um, you know, kind of a, a new thing in dressage, but um, I've made it really simple. Um, what I try to think about is, like, third gear is like your basic working trot. You know, you're forward, you know, you feel like your horse is, you know, even in both reins and, you know, this is just your, your working trot. Um, and then we have the lower gears that are basically like first and second gear. Um, and we think our gear kind of being that trot that you would have right before you walked. Um, and then second gear is that trot that's maybe a little bit in between first and third gear. Um, and then we have fourth and fifth gear, which is fourth gear is more sort of going towards your medium trot, fifth gear is towards extended trot. So for me, this is a really easy way in in a lesson to kind of teach the rider and to show the rider, okay, I want you to do this movement in fourth gear or I want you to do this movement in, you know, second gear. Um, And one of the most important things um, when the rider is doing the lower gears is to make sure that they have a couple of things um, going on as they do this. Um, for example, if the, if the rider is going to put the horse into first gear, um, what this does is this allows the rider to feel that they are riding and controlling the steps of the hind legs. Um, and this is, you know, kind of an important step for the rider to make sure that they, they feel the steps of the hind legs and that they can make sure that the energy belongs to them. You know, in other words, that the horse just doesn't stop when they feel the rider start to ride a transition. Um, this also is a great exercise to get the horse to relax and swing in the back a little bit. Um, but when the rider is doing these lower gears, it's important that they um, keep the horse straight underneath them and not let the horse, you know, kind of step left or right. Um, and it's also important that the rider makes sure that the horse is soft in the hand. Um, you know, we want to make sure that that the, the horse is on the seat and that the rider is not holding the horse into the lower gear. Um, you know, all of these things combined really make sure that the horse, you know, gets relaxed and, and uses the rhythm. You really want to use the rhythm to make sure that the horse, you know, swings a little bit. Um, and, and I want to be clear and make sure that this is not, you know, an engaging exercise. exercise this is not collecting the horse. And this makes it really easy for the rider, you know, not thinking like, oh, my gosh, I've got to, you know, make these hind legs quicker. I've got to make the horse, you know, more active and engaged. I mean, really, if you break it down and just say, I'm just working on relaxation here and making sure that the horse is soft in my hand. Um, and then the next piece of this is, you know, once once the horse relaxes and the rider feels that the, the rhythm is there, then the rider can leave that gear and then maybe go to the higher gear. You know, you might leave first gear and then go to third gear and then maybe come back to second gear, you know, and, and when you are going in and out of these gears, you know, you're making sure that the relaxation and the softness that you achieved in that gear is still there. Um, and this makes it just really, really easy. And, you know, for, for example, if you have a horse that, that wants 
kind of suck back and be a little bit lazy all the time. You know, the the, the common thought is, okay, I'm just going to, you know, give a kick and put my leg on and drive the horse forward. You know, and sometimes this is not the best way. It makes the horse then more tight in the back. So, you know, it's a it's a really great exercise then if we have, you know, a lazy horse. We go to the lower gear, you know, and make sure that the horse does not stop. You know, the rider is in control of the steps of the hind legs and in control of the energy. And then you, you know, you might leave that lower gear, you know, and kind of leave it with purpose and, and then push the horse then up to fourth gear um, and, and then come back to third gear and then go back to fourth gear. You know, so this is a really simple, easy way for the rider just to think about it and say, I don't have to engage my horse. It's not that. It's, it's I'm just going from one gear to the next. But I'm also making sure that while I do this, I maintain relaxation, I maintain swing in the back, and, and this makes it really, really nice and easy for the rider. It doesn't, it doesn't become a daunting task to think I have to, you know, engage the horse. Um, this also is a really great aid to, to teach the rider to ride the, the hind legs, to keep keep the rhythm of the hind legs. You know, the, the rider needs to understand that they always are in control of where the hind legs are and to make hind legs step and make the hind legs, you know, work for us, basically. Um, it's also a, a wonderful way for the rider to control energy um, and making sure that the that the horse is on the seat and not on the hand. Um, it, it just makes everything a little bit more simple, and it also helps the horse to be more adjustable. No, I think that's a great, I think that's a great way to think about, um, you know, riding a horse in the trot. I think we all, as riders, you know, we think we need to be able to extend, we need to be able to come back, but we don't ever think about that there's a a huge adjustability in our range of trot or should be. And if Mm -hmm. there's not a huge range in our trot, that's something that we need to work on getting. And that's, that's what this exercise does. So I think Mm -hmm. it's a brilliant exercise and a great way to visualize that there are gears and that there are, Mm -hmm. you should be able to step it up and you should be able to shift down and you maybe need to shift to third gear from first gear. Um, So I think that's a brilliant way to explain it. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Uh, How can we find you on the internet? Um, well, I have a Facebook page for my business, and it's Kelly McGinn Dressage, and you can go on there and like it. And um, I try to update it as much as I can, and I put pictures and, and that sort of thing. And you can contact me through that. Um, and then I also have, you know, just a Facebook page for myself. Um, and I would love to hear from people, and if anybody ever has any comments or questions, I, you know, absolutely love what I do, and I enjoy talking to people and meeting new people. So please contact me. I would love to talk to you. Well, it is my pleasure to um, introduce Marco Bernal from a team rider from Colombia, and he also just rode in the Nations Cup. And I'm so glad that, Marco, you were able to come on this evening to answer our listener question. Thanks for coming on. I wondered if you could share your favorite exercises for teaching horses how to start collection at the second or third level stage in training. Okay, I, I would say... Um, obviously, according to the talent and the ability of the horse, but I would suggest, and that's the way I normally do, I start on the walk using some turn on the haunches to make sure the horse is free at the shoulders and he's going to be able to sit under and start to understand what is the idea. Uh, and the trot work, I normally go for the shoulder in, first the um, shoulder forward, then shoulder in, circle, 
And then once I have the horse in balance, I use the uh, transition trot walk and back to the trot. It really helps the horses to get the strength and to um, learn how to collect. Now, the canter, normally I start with the county canter, and uh, I use the county canter on the uh, green horses to help them to get the balance and start to work on the collection. Once the horses are, uh, let's say, a little bit more familiar with the idea, then you can use some 10-meter circles, both directions, and then once the horse is uh, balanced and really comfortable doing that, you can use some kind of working period, a big one, to start to collect the horses. And the combination of the three of them, the three different gates, it will uh, help the horse to understand what we want. I think those are those are great exercises, Marco. So can yeah. you take us back to the trot? So let's say I have a second level horse and he's pretty weak and I'm having trouble with, you know, just introducing shoulder in or shoulder four. What are some things that we can use to help that horse get the strength for those exercises? Okay. If we go one step back, we will use the circle, the 10 meter circle, and make sure the horse is really getting the flexion and the uh, balance. To be, able, to be able to maintain the flexion and the balance on the shoulder in. Another exercise and a combination that really helps me a lot is once I have the shoulder in, let's say, uh, steady and consistent on the horses, I start to use the rounders. It's a very, very good exercise for the horses to understand how to go through the whole body and stay collected. Oh, that's a great one. And what about Travers? Do you use Travers at all kind of in this stage? Yes. I mean, it is in between. Actually, when you start with the shoulder in, circle Travers, then shoulder in, circle Rambert, all this combination gives the horse a great ability and flexibility to really move easier and, like I said, do it with a less amount of effort. Oh, I think that's great. And so, Marco, tell us uh, length of time. A lot of times our listeners say, okay, well, how long or how how many repetitions of these exercises should I do? What are some tips for gauging how much we should do? Okay, like I said, I have, and this is my own experience, I have some horses, they really give me a better feeling and sooner working or start to work the collection on the canter. Some of them on the trot is not really one, one. Uh, specific uh, order. You know, some horses, they, I, I spend more time walking in the beginning and making sure he's, the horse is taking the legs and is reacting quicker from behind. And uh, then it's very difficult to say how long. It will depend. Every horse is different. Normally, I try to start walk, do the, the, the exercise on the walk. Then I go and try to do the trot. Some horses, they prefer, and I see a big, uh, let's say, uh, they, they get it sooner and quicker when I go from the walk to the canter uh, exercises, and then at the end I will do the trot. Once I have more impulsion and better uh, forward tendency, then I can uh, go back to the trot. But I would say, you know, in general, I don't spend more than uh, 15, 20 minutes doing those. I mean, counting the warming up and then the cool uh I mean, um, normally I don't uh, ask and work on this uh, type of exercise that extent. 
That makes sense. And, and that, I think that's, that's right. Exactly what you have to work on is always making sure that you are listening to what your horse has to say, especially this is a, this is a hard time for horses as they have to learn a lot and, and carry a lot. So Marco, you, you did a great job talking about the canter. Um, and you talked about counter canter, um, for learning collection, um, at second and third level. Uh, what are some counter canter figures or exercises that you do? You, you can start with this simple one, which is a uh, um, regular, you know, coming out of the corner, take a, a big diagonal that the horse is really able to keep and maintain the balance, and then go the whole arena. Then you can go for some 20-meter uh, circles and count a canner, then the serpentine through loops, you know, and like I said, according the reaction and how quick the horse is uh, get it, then you can go for this exercise that I said. It's like you make a circle almost uh, no flexion, you know, you keep uh, sure that the shoulders are coming first and then the horses will develop the capacity of carrying uh, itself and then uh, you can use a smaller circle, you know, that's, uh, like I said, depending how quick the horse and how strong the horse it is. Oh, and I love that. And and, and you also talked about the working pirouette, which I think, um, I think a a lot of people are nervous to start that, you know, at that level. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that's one of those exercises um, that takes a really long time for a horse to develop. Can you talk Correct. a little bit more sort of working pirouette kind of uh, on that general topic? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mentioned the working pirouette and actually you don't go uh, straight to the working pirouette. You try a few strides on the big circle, let's say, not the 20 meter circle, uh, 15 or 18 meter circle, you start to make some strides and check how long your horse is able to keep the uh, degree of collection that you are asking for. And then little by little, you increase uh, every time more and more. And at some point, you're going to be able to have like a big circle on a nice, let's say, position for a period, but you're not really asking for this, obviously, this degree of uh, um collection, but it will develop every time the horse will recognize what you're asking for and they will, uh, let's say, feel more comfortable doing it. And obviously, they develop the strength and the coordination to keep it for longer. And and, and the more they, they learn, then you can ask for a little bit more. But like I said, it's a very slow process. And I normally, the most important thing, like you said before, is to uh, be able to listen to the horse and recognize exactly the point when the horse is working too hard to be able to keep the horse happy and motivated to do it again and again. And Marco, tell us, if, if we were to look you up online, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Uh, Marco Ronaldo Fast International. That's my website. And you can go in www.marcoronaldofasintenational.com. Then you can have the information. Great. Well, we can't wait to have you on another time, Marco. Thank you. This tip was brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, the shoulder relief girth that Reese and Philip both love. And here's why. The saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. 
The shoulder relief girth's recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available. At totalsaddlefit.com. Visit totalsaddlefit.com. What well, is truly an honor to introduce my mentor, Conrad Schumacher, who has been national team coach for Germany, for Holland, for Great Britain. And he was also the Young Rider team coach. And he started, we started working together now 20 years ago, and he's been extremely influential in my career. Um, so I hope everyone enjoys uh, the Master of Dressage. Well, it is an honor this evening to have my mentor and teacher, Conrad Schumacher, here with us this evening. Conrad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> well, we've had a very wonderful weekend of clinics here at, at Maple Crest Farm, and we even have a very unusual setup. You are sitting in the indoor, and I'm in my apartment, and so we're in the same location, but not quite sitting together this evening. But one of the questions, and, and I really had to think about what to ask you, uh, because you, you are such an amazing teacher, is you always say to riders, and when you give a clinic, that you are making a rider and not making a horse. Can you, tell, can you kind of start the conversation about what you mean by saying that? Well, I made the experience in the dressage um, business that um, the horses develop only really well when the rider is good. Actually, riders are making the horses. And that is one, one reason. The other reason is I've trained a lot of young riders in my life. It's more than 3,500 all over the world. And maybe like 2,000 in America. And um, when you train young riders, you have to train the rider. You have to make them understand the giving of the aids and how things are working together. And so this is my background, and this is my experience, and because of that, I train riders primarily, and uh, the riders later, they make them the horses good and the horses become successful. This is so true. I mean, I, I started riding with you, oh goodness, it's about 20 years ago. Um, so I have personally had several horses that we've worked together. Um, and, and it's very true as we go through um, the scale and in the scale of training and learning, every horse is different and um, you have to be able to, to change to different horses. So we also talk a lot about uh, feel and learning about feel and how we, we feel and teach and, and learn what feel is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, the difficulty in teaching a rider is that you have to teach technical, uh, lead the giving of the aids. Uh, this is relatively easy because you can describe it by words. And it's also logical and someone who is intelligent understands that right away. 
But then you have to teach the field because the giving of the AIDS has also two aspects. It's not only the technical aspect, it has the aspect of the timing of the AIDS. And the timing of the AIDS cannot be done with the brain. It can be done only when you have learned to feel. Now, when you talk about feel, that doesn't help the writer because words don't cover that, really. So my way of teaching is I produce together with the rider and the horse situations where the field will come up, and then I tell the rider in that moment, that's it. And then I do hope that the riders remember, and I do that often, and then I do it in variations, and after a while, the riders will learn to feel. And then we have the prerequisite of giving the aid in a good way. So tell us, you know, when you start talking about the the technical aspect, and I and let's talk a little bit. Let's say about um, picking up the canter because we we saw that a lot, or I saw that a lot today as we went through. We had young horses to Grand Prix horses, and you know we had the young ones who had to learn to pick up the canter by going through the neck. And when you when you start talking about giving the aids in that moment, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when you want to proceed from a trot, for example, with the young horse into the canter. So technically, it is the weight of the rider must be on the inside seat bone more than on the outside seat bone. That has to do with the balance, and you can achieve that easily by pushing your inside leg a little bit further down, and then the horse must have um, a nice um, flex to the inside that is technically done with your inside hand. You turn the wrist carefully to the inside, and the outside rein stands passive at the neck, and then your inside leg switches down because of the seat position is assisted by the outside leg, which is a little bit behind the first, and then you have the right position of rider and horse, and then you can close the legs, and this will make the horse tendering, but it might be that a young horse, which has never done that before, has to learn that and understand that. That may take a little while, but then the horse has understood, and then it goes. So this is technically described relatively easily. But the moment when you actually ask for this canter, that would be then the moment where you feel that the horse is ready for it. And this is now the second part of the piece. Right, exactly. And that's that's the tough part. And today we worked a lot also um, on giving in the neck. And we started in the halt. Uh, and we would take this all the way to the canter transition or to Piaf if, if appropriate for the horse. So talk to us a little bit about when you're dealing with neck position in the halt, for example. How how do you feel uh, with your, your seat and your legs to get the horse round or keep the horse round that way? Well, I mean, first of all, this is what I do a lot with all the riders and the horses to do it in the halt. Um, with the, giving the horse a good neck position because in the hall, the horse as well as the rider, they have nothing to do but concentrate just on that neck. They don't move, 
so they have a great possibility to develop the field, both of them. The horse feels good when the neck is well-rounded, and the rider feels this as well, and then you can do exercise in the hall, a slight flex to the left, a slight flex to the right, then you can give one side from your wrist and take the other side, or you keep both hands steady and wait on the dog as given the neck and so on. You can make the crest of neck flip over to the left or flip over to the right, depending on what you want to do. And when you have that done, then there's so much understanding between horse and rider that later when you go for the walk and for the trot and for the canter, you save a lot of time when you when you exercise it like that. And you also, when you have to make one rounded in the horse, you can let the horse stretch down. And the horse will try to see the deep outline and then you retake the reins. So you can train in the hall, um, not only the neck positions and the flex, you also can train the stretching and the retaking of the reins. And when the rider can do that, then he rides way better because he's always able to reward the horse in the right moment. The reward comes by a lightening of the contact or the stretching. Yeah, and it works, ladies and gentlemen. I will tell you, I worked a lot on that today on on the young horses, especially, and it was very, very helpful. Um, another exercise, um, Herr Schumacher, if we could talk about, you did a great exercise also to help with the neck, uh, the turn on the forehand. Um, you did that with all the riders almost. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the aids for the turn on the forehand, but also the feeling of the neck and the turn on the forehand? Yes, when you turn on the forehand uh, and you do that with the flex next to the inside and then you use the inside leg to turn the horse together with the inside hand but without using the inside hand much. The inside hand is only flexing the horse. Then you have a good influence on the horse's spine. Uh, this slow turning loosens the spine. And because of that, the horse becomes soft in the neck. And this is very helpful to uh, teach that to a rider because always when the rider is on the way with the horse and the horse gets a little bit strong in the hand because it's young, or it gets a little bit excited because of environmental issues, then you can go back to this hall, turn the horse up the forehand, and you have it soft again. This is why we do that, and that is an old exercise which was already done hundreds of years ago uh, in the classical riding in Europe. Yeah, and it's amazing how many horses, you know, we saw some some upper-level horses today that weren't so comfortable with that movement, and uh, it's something that you use a lot, the turn in the forehand, and you, you did also a, a really neat exercise that incorporated leg yields today and the turn in the forehand down the wall. Um, can you yeah. explain that exercise? Because that was sort of the next step in this in this softening of the neck and the feeling for the riders. Well, basically, the um, turn on the front and the leg heel uh, has the same idea. We drive the horse with the inside 
leg to the outside leg and to the outside brain. And when you do it in the hall on the turn on the front, it is comparatively easy. And the next step is when you go down the long side and you flex the horse to one side and you drive it, for example, from the right side to the left side, you finish that movement down the long side of the arena with the turn on the forehand. You go from this movement into the turn on the forehand. This is more complicated because the horse is moving. But when the horse has learned it in the halt, that it will do it easily. And then you have a great tool for using this exercise also. Maybe you are on the show ground and you warm up your horse. You can do it there. Um, and it will help uh, tremendously to get hold of the horse um, in a good way. Uh, on a show ground, normally a turn on the forehand with a halt is difficult to do because in the warming up, you cannot just only halt. The other riders are riding around you and the horse get nervous. But this turn on the forehand, which comes from a walk, can be practiced almost everywhere. So this is then the next step and will be as successful uh, like everything which is done properly uh, riding from the inside to the outside so carefully that the horse gets more contact on the outside rein. Can you just explain to us what, what you mean by riding from the inside to the outside to for our listeners? What, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, of course, not that that is so real visible in a way that the horse is pushed to the inside leg hard to the outside. Uh, it is more a very skillful, soft riding with the inside leg a little bit to the outside, but the outside leg is in a guarding position. It is then a little bit behind the curve and holds the horse there without pressure. And this little bit of driving from inside to outside makes the horse round and soft on this inside. And that is particularly important for all the classical movements. You have to have the horses soft on the inside that you can ride half pulse or candle pirouettes or whatever it is. And that is practice already with these simple movements on the lower level. The horses get the understanding for that. But again, it is almost not visible. It is done very, very carefully. Yeah, and, and it's truly amazing to watch you do it because when when you do it, and I, and I certainly try to teach all my students, but when I watch you do it, it, it's amazing to see how the horses become much more rideable and much more obedient through this work and much more relaxed. Um, as because they understand the concept that you that you're looking for, and it and it's truly amazing to see them transform. Um, one also, of the last, sorry, but it's also no, no, go ahead, please. Yeah, in the moment we have a lot of rain here, and I almost cannot hear you. It okay. is really the rain is very very strong. I know I can hear it. Glenn can hear it too. You're we're good though. Don't worry, we're fine. I can hear you. Okay. It, it, but let me, uh, please let me say something uh, in addition. When okay. you do this, this careful riding from inside to outside, 
as I described it, that has one very important effect in the horses. You become a close contact with your body to the horse's body, and this makes horses particularly happy. Horses enjoy very much this um, contact of a soft leg and a soft hand, and that makes them relax very well and listening to the rider. A happy horse is always listening to the rider, and that is another reason why I like to do that with this riding from inside to outside to enhance the contact what we need to have to have the horses really happy. Yeah, and you're you're just a master at making horses happy and 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 riders all the smiles today were pretty cool to watch. Um and for our last question here Schumacher, we talk a lot about um education and educating riders and horses. And can you talk a little bit about the importance of of education and also some ways that you feel like Americans can get education? Well, Education is extremely important for classical riding. Um, the riders have not only to learn that what we were talking about, uh, the technical part and the field part. It is also, of course, the mental fitness has to be educated. Riders have to have patience. They have to be eager to do it. They have to be determined, but on the other side, they always have to be humble and understand that the mistakes which come about are never done by the horse on purpose. A horse will never do a mistake on purpose. It cannot do it because the horse is not logical-oriented. It reacts on aids and it reacts on its instincts. So... When the rider is not educated in that way, they will not be fair to the horse. They won't do justice to the horse. And that is why this education is extremely important. And in Germany, we educate our rider at least three to five years um, in order to have data good riders who understand the sport, who understand themselves, and to understand also the instincts of the horses. And when we do not do that, then we will never get really good riders. And good riders are essential for making a good team. And in America, I know that uh, there are many attempts to school the riders well, but I think personally, that uh, a lot of things could be done in addition to that what is done already. And um, I do hope that that will come about now in future in America more. Uh, America must just understand that the dressage riding is different from jumping or eventing. In jumping and eventing, you can produce more or less a little bit your own style. Um, in the dressage, you also have to ride on your own, but the knowledge and the way of 
producing the horses has to be done within a system. And this system is hard to understand when you don't have the education. Right. It is. And, you know, education is available. And, you know, for example, you travel through the country uh, and it's very affordable to come and audit your clinics. And, and it's really a wonderful day of education. So, Herr Schumacher, I need to feed you dinner. You've been working all day and I appreciate your time to talk with us on the Dressage Radio Show. And I hope you'll come back another time. Well, as always, everybody, we love your email and Facebook shout outs. And we've gotten a lot of fun uh, calls and emails from everybody about um, our book club. When two sides <laughs> align, don't forget. Like your idea. Yeah, that's yep. great. Don't forget our book club. We're going to review our book the first week in July. So it's coming up. I am not going to lie, Phil. I'm taking mine. Uh, I'm, I'm heading on a little vacation. So I'm going to take mine with me and on the plane and, and read a little bit and be ready to rock and roll. Uh, so don't forget our book club, Two Spines Align. There's more info on our Facebook page and also on the Dressage Radio page. Uh, so we hope you enjoy it and you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com. My email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. And I also have a new Instagram page for Maplecrest Farm. So go check it out. Oh, man. I know. The best way to find me is usually (laughs) on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a good show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And as always, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. Thank you.